from the White Letter Production Studios in Los Angeles, California. I'm Ellie Unger-Sargon, and this is The Cut Podcast. So thanks for coming. Uh, a few word of, words of thanks. I want to really thank Ali and Larkin for pulling this together. Um, and on a personal note, it's really great to see people who are young and uh, activists on this issue. So thank you so much. And thanks for the hospitality also. Much, much appreciated. So this is the way things are going to go tonight. Uh, we're going to show the film. It's 70 minutes long. And uh, after the film's over, we'll have a Q&A session. And Ali's going to be going around with uh, wireless mics so that the podcast audience can hear what your questions are. And I'll do my best uh, to answer your questions. After the question and answer session, I'm going to show you a five-minute trailer from my next film, uh, A People Without a Land, which is a documentary about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that I've been working on for three years now. Uh, and once the, uh, once you've seen the trailer, we'll move into the commerce segment of the evening. Uh, we're selling DVDs of the film. Uh, one DVD goes for $20 and, uh, if you buy more than one, every unit is $15. We take cash and credit cards. We also have some cause wristbands that we're selling at $2 a piece. Uh, I think there are two kinds. There's the intact America and the whole network bracelets. Uh, and, of course, your donations are always uh, welcome. Um, I, I'd like to thank the whole network also for uh, sponsoring this and uh, any donations that you make. The suggested donation is $4, uh, two for low-income or student, uh, but any amount is, is welcome, and it helps to get me across this country and this continent. Uh, I'm in the middle of a 30-city tour with this film, so, uh, so yeah, got quite a bit of quite a bit of a ways to go still. So thank you again for coming. And uh, without further ado, I give you my film cut. All right. Uh, Allie's going to be going around with the mic. She'll hold it in front so you don't have to worry about that. But um, do we have any questions to start off? Um, if, and I might be wrong on this, but if um, in the Jewish faith, uh, having your child circumcised is to set them apart from other cultures and other religions. Why the push to in our society in America um, to have other people circumcised, other boys circumcised? So that's a good. Qu so that's an interesting question. Um, the way you've put it, especially. Um, I think, first of all, in the Jewish tradition. Um, Many people over the centuries have argued that circumcision is about setting Jews apart. Um, and certainly it can serve that function. And in, in, during the Holocaust, for example, it served that function to tragic ends. I mean, the Nazis would pull people's pants down to see if they were circumcised or not. Um, but as was mentioned in the film, the real sort of central significance of it is that it's this sort of, it's this covenantal concept which comes from ancient times. The push to... And I think what you're referring to is a point that Len Glick made in the film, the anthropologist. The push to um, get everyone to circumcise. Um, it's, it's not exactly a, a push. And we have to be very delicate about how we talk about this because there are people out there who would have you believe that there's some sort of conspiracy going on here. And that, that's definitely not the case. Right. And Len said that in the film. 
that's not what he thinks is going on here. But the psychological ease of not standing out in a way that was dangerous for Jews to stand out in history is sort of maybe where some of the psychological satisfaction and subconscious motivation comes from, I think. You're very blessed. Your father's a really cool guy. Oh, thank you. But that last piece that he said at the end just really choked me up. Thanks. Um, I think he's really special, too. And I should mention that the making of this film had a, was a very healing um, experience for our relationship. And um, it was amazing for me. I, the moment that was captured there was not scripted. I wasn't planned. I didn't expect it. You know, I had a sense, we, we talked throughout, there were three conversations throughout the course of the making of this film that I had with my father, and I had the sense, um, you know, early on that he hadn't said everything he wanted to say, so I set up the third interview, um, but I was as surprised as, uh, as, as anyone <laughs> would have been, uh, pleasantly surprised, and it was really like, I thought it was a great moment of humanity. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he obviously loves you very much and is a very deep thinker and, and took that to heart. So that yeah. was great. Questions, comments? Do you have children now? Uh, wait for the mic. <laughs> Do you have children now? Um, no. There was a comment in the, in the film that said yes. that you've now come to a... Yes. A place that you now need to consider this for the future. So. Um, in 2007, I thought I was on the. I thought it was on the horizon. It turns out it wasn't. Um, I do plan on having children in the not too distant future, but the timing, apparently, for many reasons, wasn't right. Uh, in kind of this day and age of, you know, all this drawing lines in the sand over religion, um, I'm surprised that there's not, or may, if you've heard of any Christian groups that have kind of stood up and said, we're not doing this because we are Christian. You know, I'm surprised there's Christians getting their arms up all over all other kind of things. Have you seen that this being one of them? Because I haven't. No. And... You'd think that it would be. Um, now, I should note that the United States is different from the rest of the Christian world in this respect. Um, and um, I don't know. I mean, I can tell you historically that um, the Christian sort of insistence on not circumcising was an early distinguishing factor between early Christians and Jews. Um, and, I, you know, I'm sure uh, Christians in, the, in, in Europe... Um, are aware of that to an extent. They're, they're aware of the passages in the New Testament that speak out against circumcision. The U.S. is a very strange place when it comes to this because I can't tell you how many Christians I've met who have said to me, um, well, you know, Christians have to circumcise their kids. And I have to scratch this up to ignorance. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a strange thing too because the whole Protestant uh, revolution in Christianity was about uh, democratizing access to God and to the scriptures. 
right? And and you know the the one of the big things that Martin Luther did was he translated the Bible into German, which was just mind blowing at the time. But the point was, you know, and coupling that with actually printing Bibles so that people could learn it themselves, the the whole idea of the Protestant Reformation was or a very big part of it, you know, that people should have direct access to the scriptures. Well, the irony is that most American Christians are Protestant and they don't know what's written there and they don't read what's written there. And so, you know, I have all these conversations with people, especially on the tour now, you know, going around, bumping into people, whatever they, what are you doing? You know, oh, I made a film about circumcision. Well, we're Christian and we do this because we're Christian. I say, no, you don't, you know, like read the book. Um, and Sometimes they'll say something like, well, that's not preached at the pulpit. And at that point, um, this Jewish boy realizes that he's way out of his depth and the conversation usually ends. But um, I do think it's a little strange. Yeah. yeah I think it's odd because I was raised in a very strong Lutheran background. Most of the men on my mother's side of the family are Lutheran preachers. And uh, it was never even brought up. And I know I was circumcised. Everyone in my family that I know of is circumcised. And, you know, all the men were very educated and know the Bible, and it was never something that was distinguished. So I was just curious if that's ever come up. It's odd to me. I'd like to draw um, a sort of connecting point here, because I think what you're talking about is actually something that kind of happens in the Jewish world, too. And, and, and I'll explain how this works. Um, in the Jewish world, um, most people assume that the consequences of not being circumcised, even some of the educated people in my film, the consequences of not being circumcised religiously are dire um, for a Jewish male. And I've been looking into this for quite some time now. And I have to tell you that aside from the Paschal Lamb thing that the rabbi mentioned, and the Paschal Lamb hasn't been brought in 2000 years and won't be brought until the temple's rebuilt. Um, so not a practical issue today. Aside from that, there is no single practical religious thing that a Jewish intact male cannot do. And yet, there are all of these Jewish people, including educated and very religious Jewish people, who have these assumptions. Um, and I think it's a similar thing in the, on the Christian side. It's like, there is no textual basis for circumcision in the New Testament, but it's assumed. And what I think we're seeing on both sides here is that we have a practice that is so deeply embedded culturally that people uncritically and without thinking try to sort of, you know, speculate about a religious motivation for it. And by the way, we also see this in Africa around female genital cutting. And there's very weak sources in Islam for female genital cutting. There are a few here and there, um, but it's assumed by most people that this is something that every good Muslim does in certain places. And so I think this is a, what we're what we're talking about. What we're touching on here is like a social dynamic, that um, that cultural practices exist, and some of them are embedded very deeply in the culture, and that people then sort of in an ad hoc way come up with reasons that may not actually be accurate, but that are sort of then become shared beliefs. Wait, wait for the mic, please. Sorry, I just don't want to give short shrift to our podcast audience. So much of it comes down to, across all cultures and all times, a deep uncomfortableness with sexuality. So it becomes a cultural thing that represents, in lots of different ways, people, people's really complex uncomfortableness with sexuality. 
I think that's a really important point. It definitely plays into this. I want to raise something, though, interestingly, from a historical perspective. Um, in the, the history of circumcision in the United States is so long that it's, uh, that it's weathered changes in attitudes towards sex. Right. And there's this really interesting flip that happens. So in the, when it was introduced in the country as a sort of Victorian sexual fad to, you know, cure boys from masturbation, um, sex was seen as bad mm -hmm. and the foreskin was seen as hypersexual. And then the sexual revolution happened. I'm skipping ahead quite a few decades, but mm -hmm. the sexual revolution happens and sex is no longer bad. Sex is good. Well, then what happens to the foreskin? If sex is good and the foreskin is sexual, so we have what we have now in our culture, which is all of this sort of literature and belief. Well, there's no difference between circumcised sex and intact sex. And so the practice has weathered and, and basically the rationale just flips around and that's what you have to say if the practice is to maintain itself because if we were to say as i suggest in my film the foreskin is 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 erogenous it's primary erogenous tissue and we're in a culture that accepts as um grant we, we grant that sex is not a bad thing then we have a problem I wanted to let you know, Jane Smiley, who's an award-winning novelist, has a beautiful passage in one of her novels called Horse Heaven that talks about the female experience of making love to an uncircumcised man. So that, that's a good little reference. And I wanted to pick up on something that the gentleman over there said about the Christian thing that to take it into the natural childbirth movement. I've been a midwife for 27 years. My feelings are we have natural birth because it's what's best for the baby. And my goal as a midwife, the mother's experience, depending on, you know, I don't know what she's thinking, but I come to the table saying your baby's experience is my primary goal, to have a natural, peaceful birth. And then to see the conscious disconnect of natural childbirth parents then turning around and circumcising their child is a cognitive dissonance that I've always really struggled with. Yeah. Like, we're going to a lot of trouble here, so this baby can have a good time. And now you're going to cut part of its body off. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's one of those things. And again, another indication of just how deeply rooted this practice is in our culture, that it can survive even someone who's critical enough to say, I don't want, you know, I don't want this done in a medicalized setting. I want this done at home. I want this done naturally that it can survive that kind of a psyche and that kind of an awareness shows you how deep it is in the culture and how much work needs to be done um, to, to take it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Andy and Aaron, the parents of the three boys, they mentioned that they don't follow a lot of Jewish tradition. You know, they had a Christmas tree and stuff. Why do you think it is that Jewish families who don't necessarily follow most Jewish traditions still circumcise their children and hold on to that so strongly? So this is a, a question that I've asked myself for years now, ever since I made the film. And um, I have a number of answers for you, and you can choose whichever one you like best. Um, but I, I, and I, to be honest, I don't know the answer. These are my speculations. These are what, this is what I think. I think, number one, this is a really easy thing to do for a parent. And I don't want to minimize the, you know, and certainly on a psychological, on a deep subconscious psychological level, it's not easy. But in terms of 
effort. It doesn't require an enormous amount of effort to do this compared to, for example, uh, other Jewish rituals like the, the observance of the Sabbath, which requires an enormous amount of effort. Um, or even, you know, having a Passover Seder. Or, you know, there are many things that, are, that, that require more effort than this. So it's sort of an easy thing for a Jewish person to do to just sort of say, I did it, he's Jewish, we're Jewish, you know, we're not going to do the other stuff, but we did this thing. Um, but that's not really the whole story. And I think if we're looking forward um, and we, we're aware of the fact that in this country uh, circumcision is on the decline and that that is going to continue and that in my lifetime, I think in the not-too-distant future, actually, the rate of circumcision nationwide will dip below 50% and the majority of American boys being born will not be circumcised. Then. There's a big controversy over exactly what Who the numbers are. Who counted the numbers? Are. How? Okay. Yeah, and I, I, I'm just. I'm telling all my clients it's now 47 percent. So I've, I've made that. And up. That, that's not. That's <laughs> I read it somewhere. That's what I'm telling them. The numbers are very, actually, very difficult to. Uh, to it's, it's very tricky to know exactly yeah. where we are. I think. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I mean, I think, my best estimate based on all of the research that I've looked at, is that the number is somewhere in between 50 and 54% right now. And it was at 56% in 2008. And it was... So there's a steady decline going on. Um, but but what I was getting at was that this, this is a very interesting thing to think about from a perspective of just like Aaron and Andy in the film, who are just sort of uh, um, largely unaffiliated American Jews. They see themselves as Jews. They consider themselves Jewish. They don't practice much. If the rate continues to decline, and if um, people become more and more aware of what circumcision is, really, then the question is, well, what are Jews going to do? And Jews in this country are, are, have a, a long and proud history of being very liberal and on the forefront of many issues. In fact, in the intactivist movement, there are a number of prominent uh, Jewish voices out there. Um, and I actually, I'm starting to think that if the if it becomes enough of an issue and if the, the numbers decline far enough, I think a lot of people like Aaron and Andy going ahead will not be doing it. Um, and I'll, I'll take it a step further and I'll tell you that um, I know some rabbis who I don't know if they'll say, state this publicly, but they wouldn't be too broken up about that. In other words... If people like Aaron and Andy decided instead of circumcising to observe the Sabbath, mm, wouldn't that be great? I think a lot of people would be a lot of people who care about Jews being religious would be pleased with that. Mm-hmm. Um, who do you, as you have gone across the country, um, who do you see the most resistance from? Do you see it mostly from women, or do you see it mostly from men? It's a good question. Um, I see it from both. Yeah. And I, I look at this as a, it's almost like it's a subgender. It's there are important gendered aspects to this, and it must be mentioned that circumcision is um, uh, is clear empirical evidence of the difference that our culture. Um, imagines between violence against the male body and violence against the female body. We're clearly more accepting of violence against the male body than violence against the female body. But having said that, 
And as you can see in my film, and I think it fairly represents the reality, you have both men and women who are pro and con and equally passionate at that. Um, so I think this is such a, again, we get back to this deeply embedded practice. I think it's so deeply embedded that it is embedded beyond the level of gender. Um, and I don't, I don't think in, you know, in the film, and I can tell you anecdotally, I've had, you know, I've been sitting at a Shabbat table in, in Los Angeles and, and, uh, at a couple's house. And, uh, the woman is really angry about the fact that I'm suggesting that this is not a good thing to do. And the man's sort of sitting there kind of thinking like, well, you know, and the reverse. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't think it, I don't think it breaks along those lines. Okay. Any other questions, comments? Do, do you feel, um, obviously you're a documentary filmmaker, so this is maybe a rhetorical question, that the answer is continue to raise consciousness by creating dialogue and sharing information? Yes. I think that's the answer. I think that there are different ways of approaching this. And my... I mean, I think it's really important to know where we are as a culture and to not delude ourselves into thinking that we're further along than we actually are. We're not. I, I've, this has been going on in my personal life for 30 years, right. along with all these other natural childbirth things. We haven't gotten very far yeah. in 30 years. Yeah, and I mean, I, but I mean, I think there are people, and there's a tendency just in general in activism, and I, I've, I'm involved with some other activist causes as well. There's a tendency to have a little bit of an echo chamber and to think that you're you know, either on the one hand to think that you're being more influential than you really are, or on right. the other hand to be to start getting really impatient because your consciousness has been raised, but the vast majority of the public out there's consciousness has not been raised. So I'm just saying strategically, I think that's important. I'm, I'm a believer in getting these discussions going. And most importantly, in raising the level of discussion um, from, you know, sort of jokey, uncomfortable, uh, ooh, cringy to oh my gosh, this touches on so many interesting areas and it's so uh, complex and let's talk about it on a higher level. Let's talk about it seriously. Let's stop making the jokes. Um, you know, not that I'm against humor, but like really take this seriously and, and, um, and have high level discussions about it. Then we can start progressing a little further, but it's slow. I should say, and this is really important, I'm very optimistic over the last couple of years, there's been an enormous amount of progress, which means inches, of course. But I can tell you, I have multiple indications that the culture is starting to slowly shift on this issue. Um, not least of which is the fact that this film, when it was released in 2007, had a very small life. And in 2011, I'm going on a 30 city tour with it. All right, should we take one more question? If anyone has a question, and then we'll jump into the trailer for my next project. For, for men who are upset about being circumcised against their will, what can they do about that? What resources are out there for restoration? Or I've heard of men suing even the doctors and the hospitals who perform the circumcisions. Yeah. So different men come to terms with the information that I presented in my film and, and just the information about what was lost and what was done to them in different ways. Some guys are angrier than others. Some guys go to the extent of restoring their foreskins, uh, which is a lengthy process. It takes between two and four years, depending on your age. 
but it's it's definitely uh, available and there are techniques that you can learn about online. Um, the best restoration resource is www.norm.org, NORM, the National Organization of Restoring Men. They have chapters in most major cities and they actually have uh, support groups for men because typically if you're willing to go to the extent of restoring your foreskin, you probably feel pretty angry about it. And so these support groups are wonderful, uh, safe spaces for men to sort of support each other and talk about their feelings. Of course, uh, we didn't touch much on the complications, but there are many complications to circumcision that men have to deal with um, in a, in a, and it's, it's always hidden, right? Um, David Llewellyn, who was a genital injury lawyer that I met in Atlanta said it's hidden because the genitals are hidden. And so a lot of the damage is not even something that a person might become aware of until much later in life. Um, so there are many resources online and yeah, Norm is, Norm is a good place to go. Um, yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, you've been a wonderful audience. We're now going to, uh, show you, uh, the five minute extended trailer for my next project and then we'll, uh, sell DVDs and bracelets. So thank you so much for coming. That's our show. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email them to us at cutdocumentary at gmail.com. And if you like what you've heard today, please support us by buying our film at www.cutthefilm.com.